Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You'd open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 12. We're getting near the end. Uh, We have just one more chapter after this. Uh, But here, as we take through verses uh, 12 to 21, a message I hope will stir you on to understand how much God loves you. Uh, I grew up in a very, very legalistic environment as a Southern Baptist when I was very young. And frankly, I misunderstood the character and nature of God's grace. I believed that he was actually after me most of the time, uh, that he was tracking me wherever I went, and that at any moment's notice, I was about to be barbecued. And that was kind of my young understanding. I didn't really get that God was for me that he was not against me, that he loved me deeply. Now the problem with what I just said is that you can also take that too far. You, you can believe that God is against you, that God really hates you, and he's just kind of putting up with you, and you can also believe that God loves you so much that he just puts up with all your nonsense and shenanigans. Neither of those extremes is true. In the middle is where God would have us dwell. God is absolutely holy, he's absolutely righteous, he absolutely hates sin, but he absolutely loves sinners. Amen? So today, don't be frightened. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Uh, Would you join me as we pray? And we'll take this wonderful passage of scripture together. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. It's your word that is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Help us, Lord, to hear from heaven and to have the right understanding of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we saw that we're to be ready to run, amen? To be ready to run means that we need to understand who we're running for. Uh, We have coach watching after us. He's looking after our lives. And so that is the context which we turn to now. And there's a huge difference. And what I really described to you in that little opening monologue, if you will, is the difference between reverence and being scared. Reverence for God is absolutely essential. You need to have a fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There is a place for the right kind of fear. God is holy and ultimately if you're not found in Christ Jesus as Lord, you're going to be spending eternity separated from God in a place you don't want to be called hell. So there is a level at which that fear is right. But you can take that to a tremendous extreme. And many people do, so much so that they actually give up trying. 
because God is holy and because the standards are his holiness, because he is righteous and his standard is righteous, because he is eternally good, his standards are good, we often think that God is in that sense holding us to a standard that right now today you probably would fail at keeping. And because of that, we view God through our failures. And when we view God through our failures, we then think that God thinks like we do. And so God is always mad at me because of my failures was my contention as a young believer. He he was never happy with me. That all he saw was the deficiencies in my life. Proverbs 14, verse 26 to 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. His children will have a place of refuge, for the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life and to turn one away from the snares of death. So again, there is a healthy place for reverencing God and his character. It's essential. What does our passage say? Verse 12, Hebrews 12 Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. Any of your hands been hanging down lately? Any of your knees been feeble in your attempts to try and please God? Those those areas of your life where you know you're not quite there yet, you want to do better, but somehow you fall into that Romans 8 pattern that Paul was in that follows Romans 7. Remember those things which I will to do, I do not do, and those things which I will not to do, these very things I do. What's the matter with me? You could could kind of translate it that way. What in the world is going on would be another way to look at it. What is wrong with me? I know what God wants, but in that place I don't always succeed. You see, the fear of the Lord pushes you back towards the right side, which is obedience. The fear of the Lord should cause you to be stimulated to recognize I'm not where I need to be, but God is not angry with me in that sense. He wants to help me get to where I need to be. God is for you. He is not against you. Through Christ, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Amen? So you have in you the potential in Christ to always do better, to always become greater, and to get to that end desire, which ultimately is going to be perfection in heaven. So the person who walks with Jesus on this earth begins a journey at salvation. It's called sanctification, becoming more saintly or Christ-like. Be careful that you don't confuse the potential you have in Christ with the reality of where you are today, because that's what creates the two extremes. The potential you have in Christ says, I one day will be exactly like him. Doesn't mean you'll be Jesus, but one day all your sin will be gone. You will be perfect. But the reality of today is, That hasn't happened yet. You still think things you shouldn't think. You still do things you shouldn't do. Not excusing any of those things away, but the fact of the matter is, perfection in the life of the believer actually will not be finished till you get to heaven. 
Hopefully you're better than you were yesterday. And each day is a progressive revelation of that truth in your life so people can say, look, Jeff's doing better than he did the day before. Be careful, church, because I have watched an awful lot of people just simply give up. The devil steps in with condemnation. The exact thing that Paul says Writing to the Roman Christians in chapter 8, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not condemning you, but he's also not approving of your sin. Do you understand the difference? He's not going, well, forget it. You know, you got three tries, you're out. That's the question Peter asked. How many times should we forgive our brother who sins against us? I know we're awesome. Seven. And Jesus says, Peter, 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 Peter. You're such a knucklehead. That's the Jeff Gill nearly inspired version. Peter, you doofus. What is wrong with you? Keep on forgiving. I keep forgiving you, don't I? That's why I call it the Jeff Gill nearly inspired version. It's kind of sort of the truth. But it paints a picture. Because we're tempted to do that, aren't we? Anybody else in here like Peter sometimes? That's just one example of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things in your life that could go that direction. You know what you're supposed to do, but you get to number 317, you don't make it any further than that. And it's like, I'm not forgiving anymore. I refuse to do it. And guess what happens? Bitterness sets into your soul. Anger overtakes you. And you start doing things that are just as bad as the things that were done against you to try and get back at that person because you give up on the righteous commands of God. It would be that obedience that would push you the right direction. But you say, nope, not going to do that. Thank you very much. And the feeble knees and make the straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. That's a picture of someone who already has a problem. It's lame. Especially in basketball, you play on a bum knee, you're probably going to end up with an ACL or an MCL or something worse. That's the picture. It's like it's already injured. Don't injure it further. The Lord doesn't want you to be out of the game. Pursue peace with all people. You think the world needs that? Pursue peace with all people. No qualifier there. Doesn't say if they're deserving of peace. It says pursue peace with all people in holiness. And here it comes. Without which no one, and put in the margin there of your Bible, including me. Including you. Including us. Without such... The holiness that you have came from whom? Jesus, amen? Is your righteousness your righteousness or his? It's his, isn't it? If it's his righteousness and you need it, it's his holiness and you need it, and without it, you won't see God either. How much should you want that for other people? It was a gift to you. It is supposed to be a gift to them, and no one is supposed to be excluded from that gift. At least that's what God said. He desires that none, he's willing that none, zero, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And that's people you don't like. That's people that you could probably say today, you hate them. That's not God's view. That's your view. Might be well-founded. Could be deeply steeped in things that have happened to you. But nonetheless, God's character is a whole lot higher than ours. Amen? So if I act on sin, then I have a reason to be afraid of God. Why? Because he's the source of my holiness. And without his holiness, I don't get to heaven. So I should be very afraid of trying to obscure heaven for other people. Making God seem stronger on them than he is on me. Because I'm not going to heaven except that my sins have been expunged by Jesus' blood. Mine, theirs, yours, and everyone else's. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. You know who the object is there of the looking carefully? It's yourself. It's you. You're supposed to be looking at you first. Anybody guilty of looking at other people first? Don't raise your hand. That's okay. (laughs) Just say yes, yes. Yes, Pastor Jeff, I am. Because Pastor Jeff just said yes to you. I'm guilty sometimes of looking at other people going, well, I'm doing better than that. You can always find people who are doing worse than you. Matter of fact, you can find people who are doing abysmal compared to you. But until you compare yourself to Jesus, you have the wrong comparison. Jesus is the one you're supposed to compare yourself to, not me. Jesus. Look at yourself first. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there is any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, even though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain. And again, this is a very Jewish passage, so you will know this from the story for those of you that are students of your Bible that may be touched, that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, the sound of the trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. The picture is the children of Israel at the base of the mountain in Exodus, and they're listening to the mountain of God, and they say, well, Moses, we ain't going, you go, bud. We're not going up there. That scares us half to death. We can hear God's voice rumbling up there. We can't even see it. There's fire. It's like, forget it. Why don't you go for us? You think that was a little scary? God had been with them in the wilderness. There's a pillar of fire. There's a cloud. And all of a sudden, thunder, lightning, flashing, the mountain is shrouded, and fear and trembling comes on them. Why? Because the God at the top of that mountain is the Holy One of Israel. Amen? Amen? So if all you know about that is that, you should be terrified. 
But who went up the mountain for you, actually? Jesus. Jesus marched up the mountain of God's character and holiness in that sense. He himself, being God, had the right to approach Father God and said, do not hold these sins against them. I will pay the price for their sins. Father, take down the cloud, take down the flames, take down the fire. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus took the fear out of the equation. So you don't need to be afraid of him. You can approach the Holy One of Israel. The veil has been torn. But the standard's still the same. God's still holy. He's still righteous. He, he still is against sin. But he desperately loves you and wants to be near you. For they could not endure what was commanded you realize the children of Israel couldn't even endure the Ten Commandments? Think of it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We don't get past that one in our Western society. Why? Because we have other gods. Sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's money, it's materialism, it's fame, it's fortune. There's a lot of things that supplant God. Things that people worship. Things that people give up on their relationship for. They give up on their relationship with the Lord for sex, drugs, even rock and roll. You, you name it. Well, Lord, if I could just be that famous person. Basically, they have sold their souls for a pot of beans exactly as we see in this passage. Just give me a good meal and I'm good to go. As long as I get to go to Ruth's Chris tonight. If you're hungry this morning, I'm sorry. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was that sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? It does to me. That's why I'm glad the veil is torn. Amen? That's the picture we have here. That's the comparison. That's why Paul said there in Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? You see, if you leave God as the one, only the one who was on the mountain that caused Moses himself to say, Knees knocking together, fear and trembling. If an animal touched the mountain, they killed the animal for fear that the animal had touched the holiness of God. Well, we don't want to touch that because if we touch that, we ourselves might be infected with whatever was going on with that animal. We might die, so we'll kill the animal. God doesn't want you walking around like that. The whole purpose for the cross was to draw men to God. Amen? Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And so we have to grab hold of this picture this morning. We have to take steps in the right direction. And notice what they are. Take a new grip with your tired hands. Your hands get tired from sinning, don't they? Yeah, they do. Whether you agree with that statement or not, they do. Your hands get tired from sinning. Your mind gets tired from sinning. Your body gets tired from sinning. Your whole being gets tired from sinning. 
You got to grab a new grip. You got to let go of the sin and you got to grab hold of God. You got to stand firm on your shaky legs. You know, when you're, when you get in trouble, isn't it weird? Now, I know none of you have ever been in trouble and had to go to the principal's office. But there's this thing that happens. I, I can remember it vividly. I got in trouble one time. It was in Spanish class in the sixth grade. And don't ask me why I can remember that and not remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but this is the case. Okay? And my Spanish teacher decided that she didn't like the thing that I had done, which was basically I had a pea shooter. For some of us that have been older, remember they actually used to sell actual pea shooters with real peas. And they hurt. I was pretty good with it. In Jesus' name, accurate, like pea shooter extraordinaire. I learned that the vase that was on her desk would make noise when I hit it. Tink! She'd be writing on the, remember we had chalkboards and erasers? Como esta? Bien, gracias, e too. She thought she was losing her mind. Well, I had to go to the principal's office for this. And that was back when they kept an assortment of paddles on the wall. There was like the grand one at the top that was hard to even reach, but it was there just in case it was needed. And I remember walking to the principal's office. He had no intention of punishing me at all. Actually, he thought it was kind of funny. But at the time, I'm like, I had never been in the principal's office. And so I didn't know what to expect of the principal. I thought for sure Big Daddy was coming off the wall. <laughs> Death awaits. And they were this big with holes in them. They were designed to leave marks, okay? Just saying. Not saying it was good. Not saying we should bring, go, go back to that. So don't write me any emails about, you know, well, you believe in violence. I don't believe in violence, Okay. I can't even scold my dog anymore. <laughs> but as I'm standing there, Mr. Gill, yes, why did you do that? Um, it was kind of dumb, wasn't it? Yes. Don't do it again. Go back to class. You see, I was expecting a beating. I was expecting, I was expecting my dad to drive from downtown San Diego back to our house. And if the principal didn't kill me, he for sure would. <laughs> a lot of us look at God that way. Like the only thing he can do is wipe us out. And he's waiting to do that. That's not God's character. It's not. He doesn't want to harm you. He wants to fix you. He wants to mark out a straight path for your feet. Doesn't want you following the crooked one that leads to a pea shooter. Okay? He wants to have a straight path, one that you get the information you're supposed to get and live it. You see, we have the wrong understanding of who God is. And so each one of these steps, there's certain parts of it that are on you. I have to make the straight journey. I have to stop shaking in the knees. I have to get a grip. But God wants to help me do these things. This is not him going, well, here's the task. I know you can't do it. Come back and I'll kill you. 
But a lot of Christians think that's what God's waiting for. It's just like, I know I'm going to fail, so I'll just fail now and get it over with. One of the things that we see in the sports world very often, we call it a flop, amen? Happens all the time in sports. I've seen, I've seen it in track and field. I've seen it certainly in basketball. It happens in almost every sport. It's like we are getting whooped, so I feign an injury. I'm like, oh, on the floor you go. God knows you're faking it. God knows you can make it. Don't fake it until you can make it. Just make it. God knows what he wants to do with your life. Let him do it. He may have to change some things. He may take away some things. But he will do that for your good. Your job is to simply take the right steps in the right direction. Look, if your purpose is misery, then then keep on going the direction you're going. Seriously. If you want to be miserable as a Christian, keep on sinning. There's no more sure way to be miserable as a believer than to do exactly what God tells you not to do. But if you want to get better, God will help you get better. If your purpose is progress, then focus, change, do what is necessary to reach those goals that you can say these are honestly and earnestly from Christ. We run together in this thing. Get some help from other people who've been down that road. Walk the. How many times have you talked to somebody, said, yeah, I did that myself? I have shared enough things from this pulpit to keep the emails coming for 100 years. Okay? Things about me. Areas where my life was not always as it is today. Don't be surprised if your life isn't where you want it to be yet but keep going the direction that will get it there. Amen? Keep moving forward. Keep progressing. And know that God is trying to push you along that way. He's not trying to, you know, it's like, it's not whack-a-mole, okay? It's like, oh, Jeff popped up. Whack! Back down there where you belong. We have to listen and learn. We're going to see in verse 25... See that you do not refuse him who speaks. God's speaking. He's speaking right now to you. He's using his word to inform your conscience so that you can change direction. You have to listen. You have to learn. When God speaks, that is your opportunity to say, hmm, that's different. And change direction. And God's going... Yay! He's not going, well, you didn't go far enough. No, God actually delights when his children turn from their wickedness. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again. When you move away from the way things used to be to a new direction, God's actually applauding. He's saying, great, now let's take the next step and the next step. But I have to be listening. Part of that is pursuing peace with all people and holiness. Right now, the world seems to be in a place, well, let's pursue peace with no one and division with everyone. That is not from God. This whole divisive attitude we have in the world, forget just here in America, in the world right now, it's nuts. It's crazy. It's so antithetical to God's purposes for the church that I don't understand why the church isn't the voice of reason in all of this. Instead of adding to the division, 
the church is actually creating a new kind of division. Well, you know, if you're really for the Lord, you're this or you're that. Or you're Mr. Vaccine or not Mr. Vaccine. Or Mr. Mask or Mrs. Mask and not Mr. If you wear a mask, you're going to hell. And yes, I got an email to that effect. From another pastor. That was really helpful. I just thought, hmm, thank you, brother. That really squared a lot of things away in my spirit and my soul. You see, we are supposed to be people of peace because our prince, our king, is the prince of peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Not if you understand mRNA vaccines and all of their ramifications. Why am I saying that? Because the church has gotten off track on these types of things. And instead of talking about Jesus and his righteousness and his holiness, we spend all of our time debating what was on the news channel last night. Instead of what do we do to promote King Jesus? Stay on mission. Pursue peace and holiness. Where do you get holiness from? Well, the quickest way that you can understand it is what does God's word say about it? So we study our Bibles like we're doing right now. When you're familiar with these things and you're able to better do these things, amen? Psalm 34, verse 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. You know, the path to peace is actually simple and it begins with us. It begins with me. When I am living a holy, righteous life, it's much easier to live with other people. Why? Because my desire is for them to be as Christ is, and I try and show them the way. We do not work in a vacuum in the body of Christ. We're in this whole thing together, aren't we? If your brother stumbles and fails, if your sister stumbles and fails, you have done something wrong. Think about it. Maybe it was just simple you didn't pray for them enough. Oh, how quickly we can condemn we don't pick up Jesus' words. Woman, where are your accusers? I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Live a righteous life. But Jesus didn't say, well, until you think like I do. He gave her a very simple task that's extremely difficult to do. Go and sin no more. That's God's plan. We listen and we learn. Because here's the truth. We all have positional righteousness in Christ. Because I am a believer by grace and through faith, I've received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. In Christ, I am positioned already in the heavenlies. It's his righteousness that gets me there now. It is his righteousness that will get me there later. I will finish the race because of what Christ did on the cross. Positionally, I'm in Christ Jesus. Amen? Here's the crazy thing. All of us are in that place for exactly the same reason. And it's not because you're awesome. It's because Christ is perfect. Because he died in your place. So positionally, the righteousness you have came from him. 
It's not even yours. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. He's giving it to you in that sense. It's a gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is, you can't boast about it. It's a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? Why is that important in this context? Because positionally we are righteous, but practically not so much. Not so much, church. Haven't met a Christian, haven't met a pastor. Don't know a person in full-time ministry that doesn't still have some issues that God's working out in their life. Now, praise God, they're very often what we would consider much more minor things. But you know what? Sometimes pastors do the major things too, don't they? You've read about them in the news. I don't have to tell you that. And that's casting shade on no one. That's simply saying we're all works in progress. Positionally, righteous in Christ. Practically, I'm still a work in progress. Please don't forget that. Please don't forget that. Because if you forget that, then you begin to think that both practically and positionally, you're already there. And you're not done yet. You still got a race to run. You still got a ways to go, and so do I. That sense we have to look out and we have to watch out. Look out after each other, the New Living Translation is translated for verse 15. Look out after each other, not look at and judge. Look out after each other so that none of you will miss out on the special favor of God. The special favor of God, there's a general favor of God that you get by grace and through faith. But the special favor of God goes to those children who are obedient. The more obedient I am, the more God is able to bless me. And if I'm looking out after my brother, then when I see things in their life that needs to change, doesn't stack out. As I look out at the world and I look at the things that are going on, I can say, let me come alongside of you and help you with that. Because that shouldn't be in your life. Now, people don't always want to hear that. People don't readily receive sometimes those things which they need to hear. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't offer it to them. In this case, there was a bitter root, and be careful how you translate it. It's not just general bitterness, it's a bitter root of unbelief. It's acting like an unbeliever inside to where the root of what's going on in your life is the root of something an unbeliever would do. Unbelievers have no capacity to please God. Did you know that? Oh, they can do good things. They can even do things that are actually right in the eyes of the Lord. But you can only please God if you're found in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, you're at war with God. You're at enmity with God. And so in that sense, when we have peace with God, the peace was a gift. And I should be looking out after other people because without Christ, they already have a bitter root of unbelief. But that bitter root should not be in the life of a Christian. It shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be gravitating towards sin. You see, if I have the right understanding of God that he is holy and just and righteous, then I want to be holy, just, and righteous. Because if there's a root of unbelieving things in my life, it's going to cause all kinds of trouble, exactly as this passage says. There should be zero room for sin in the life of a believer. Did you hear what I just said? Zero room for sin in the life of the believer. Zero room. That means if God's word is clear on any subject matter, 
That is your divine directive from God. That's how you see it, period. So be careful that you don't hold unbiblical views. You see, that's kind of the picture that we have for Esau. And it's important that we get this. Because there are an awful lot of Christians that actually hold unbiblical views, which is a root of unbelief. If you don't agree with what God's word says on, let me give you a couple that are in our society right now, homosexual behavior. Homosexuality, though God loves people caught in it, is a sin in the eyes of God. It's sin, period. It's sin. That is a root of unbelieving behavior. And so if you continue to engage in it, just like if you are fornicating, you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. That is a root of unbelief. God doesn't care that you think you're in a committed relationship. His word specifically says, you shall not live like this. And if you choose to live like that, no matter what your excuse is, you are living in open rebellion to God. It is unbelief. It takes root and you become bitter against God. So be careful because people often misuse this passage to say it's just plain old bitterness. No, it's a root of unbelief that is the source of the bitterness. So be careful. This is a powerful passage for Christians. We do not get to pick and choose what it is that we believe about what the Bible says. Where it is clear, we also have clear directive. You may not like what it says. You don't have to agree with what it says. But you do have to do what it says. Because to not do that, to him who knows it's sin, that verse correctly translated, to him who knows it's sin, it is sin. So when you know what the Bible says and you won't do it, get ready to be bitter. Because that unbelief will take root in your soul. And pretty soon, other things are going to get added to it. Watch out, look out. Things to watch for, and this is very simple to see in this passage. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau is what the New Living Version says. Oops. Or godless. That word godless is a general term for anything that doesn't stack up to God's character. It's not, there's not like a list there. It's like, well, godless is this stuff. Godlessness is anything that's anti-God. Hence, if God's word says it, we believe it, that settles it. Amen? It's not up to us to, well, you know, we don't like that God's character doesn't allow for the, my particular pet sin. You know, I like to get drunk every once in a while. What's wrong with that? It's sin. It's sin. Church, it's sin. It's not okay. It's sin. Some of you are going, man, I hate Pastor Jeff right now. <laughs> I'm telling you these things because I love you. It's sin. Drunkenness is sin. That's what the Bible says. Okay? 
So you may not like that it says that. You may think, well, you know, I'm, I always go to these things. You know, I don't get too drunk. Doesn't say that. This is where the church gets in trouble. And pretty soon, God's character is besmirched. We've dumbed down his holiness, and now we have a reason to be very afraid because we don't know what the truth is anymore. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers only, because you'll deceive yourself. This is central to understanding what God wants for us. We are so filled with some of these sexual issues in our culture right now. It's staggering the damage that it's doing. I, I've stopped trying to figure out whether it's LBGTQP plus Z, whatever it is now today. From God's perspective, there's a man and a woman and they're married forever and they have children. Okay? There's, there's no we're kind of sort of married. There's no what we want to get married. There's no we used to be married. It's are you married or not married? Are you living in sin or not living in sin? Look, I, I'm old, okay? So I come from a generation of Aussie and Harriet and father knows best. I'm not saying that everything that was in that was right either. But what I am saying is God has an opinion on this issue. That's supposed to be the opinion of the church, the whole church, not the modern church. The progressive church has a different view because we're smarter than God was when he wrote his word. Pornography is sin. Why? Because it stimulates sexual thought that leads to lust and lust after someone you're not married to is sin. I'm going to really get in trouble now. There's some romance novels that aren't romance, they're pornmance. So just because you're reading it doesn't mean because it doesn't have pictures, it's not pornography. I'm messing with everybody today. I'm an equal opportunity offender on sin issues, okay? But these things tear marriages apart, they give you unrealistic expectations in marriage. They cause you to think that these things that you've seen on your cell phone are everybody's reality. It's a lie. It's from the pit of hell. It's destroying our kids. It's destroying our culture. You want to know why less than 50% of people are all married? Because they don't have to get married to have the benefits of marriage. Well, we'll just make babies. Making babies a marriage doesn't make. The marriage comes first, and then you make babies. Okay? That's why we're so messed up in our culture. Because we do not hold true to what God's word plainly says. Nearly one in four videos rented in America is pornographic. There are 400 feature films produced in Hollywood... There are 13,650 pornographic films produced about 15 miles away in North Hollywood. We're not supposed to be those people. We have to be careful, church. His standards are high. If you are in sin, you will be afraid of God. And God doesn't want that. 
So what's the answer? Don't live in sin. Don't live in sin. Don't go with the flow. Do what it says. God has an opinion on it. That is your opinion. Don't be godless, in other words. The word that's translated godless is actually the root of the same word that's used for the devil, Beelzebub. It's Beblos. It's the same word. Godlessness is demonic. Period. The devil's trying to get you to do things that are not in line with God's word so that you will walk in fear so you will be just like the Israelites at the base of the mountain. You'll be going, well, I can't talk to God right now. Why? Because I was just smoking dope with my girlfriend and then slept with her. Okay? It's time to get real up in here. It's not okay. It's never going to be okay with God. You will live in fear at the base of the mountain. You'll never go to the mountain. You'll live in fear at the base of the mountain. You'll be scared forever that God is going to one day punish you for that iniquity. He already punished his son on the cross so you don't have to have that fear. Now walk in righteousness. That's what God wants. Church, God wants us to walk in righteousness and holiness. We don't even have a direct reference to how Esau was actually godless beyond he thought with his stomach. But he was immoral. We're not told what the immorality was. That's not too tough to see. We should stay away from that. Amen? Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings fear. It's that simple. If you don't want to be afraid of God, then listen to his voice. And then you won't have fear. You'll just have reverence. It's like, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Thank you for loving me anyway, Lord. This passage ends with a very Jewish warning. We'll close with this. And you can see it there, verses 18 to 21. This awesome scene at Mount Sinai. Moses is there. I'm exceedingly afraid. He, he's going to go up and, and the Lord is going to pass by him in the crevice. The cleft of the rock. He's not even going to see him. And church, we now can see Jesus. We don't physically see him, but we see him in what he has done and wrought in our world. We have a close relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. We're not supposed to be walking in fear, but we are supposed to be walking in holiness. Otherwise, we go right back to the base of the mountain. That's why Christians who walk in sin have that fear in their life. That's why they feel that way. God put it there, actually. That fear, actually, can you imagine? There may have been some estimates, say as many as two million people in the wilderness wandering with Moses and the gang. Can you imagine that two million people were so afraid they voted for one guy to go see God? You go see him, we can't do it. 
this awesome display of God's power. God's display of power now was Jesus on Calvary's cross. That's God's display of power. That's what he wants you to see. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. What Jesus did, he did so you don't have to walk in that trembling fear anymore. But you do have to walk in that holiness and righteousness and desire to please God and obedience. That's the result of receiving his grace. And because of who I am in Christ, I now walk that way. It's like, Lord, help me to be pleasing to you. After all you've done for me, That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 said, let us submit our bodies unto the Lord as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. And then he gives us the reason why. It is our reasonable service. It's just the right thing to do. It's what we should do given what we have been given. Amen? Holy living will bring you peace and joy. Disobedience will bring you fear. That's not a hard choice. Not a hard choice. Make the right choice. Walk in faith and love. It'll cast out your fear. And it'll leave you with joy in the Lord. Amen? Would you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. If you need prayer after service, maybe something's going on in your life and you just need an extra dose God's touch, join our team in the prayer room. They'd be delighted to pray with you and for you. Father, we are so grateful. And Lord, I want to pray if there's anyone here today that has yet to commit their way unto you and receive you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, that they would march boldly into that prayer room and say, what do I need to do? The same thing that the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? It's very simple but it takes positive action. And so, Lord, we just give you our lives afresh and anew and pray that you would bless us. Fill us with your spirit. Wash over us with joy. Help us to walk in you and to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.